It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast. We are joined by the great Jody Ayler, and I say great with a capital G, host of The Drive, 6 to 10 a.m. on Fox Sports 910. Hello, Goat. How are you doing, man? What's up, Mike? How you doing, man? The great Mike Luke. Yes, for sure. All right, Jody. We got a lot to get to today. We're going to hop around from some football to some basketball. But I thought you had a tweet uh, after the SC game, which you generally do, that was that really caught my attention. This was the first time where it felt like the talent level between Arizona and SC, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, didn't look that remarkably different. And from where we were three years ago, that is something I'll take every single day of the week, Jody. Oh, man. From where we've been largely in Arizona football history, right? That USC, you're always seeing the, the matchup in the trenches just be overwhelmingly in USC's favor. They're overwhelming the Arizona offensive line or their offensive line is basically an impenetrable force that right. the uh, Wildcats defense can't get to. And how many times have we seen that game? First of all, the running game get to the second level without being touched. How many times did we see Caleb Williams just immediately flush from the pocket, having to pull those rabbits out of his hat that he's so good at doing. But I really thought up front, there was really no difference. In fact, many, in many ways, I think Arizona was better at the point of attack. Now, you know, could we say USC was taking Arizona lightly and maybe just, you know, talent to talent, they're still better, of course. But I thought Arizona looked great up front on both sides of the ball against a USC team that usually far outclasses the Arizona Wildcats. And that's always been the thing. Even when Rich Rod had it rolling, it always felt kind of fluky because you had guys on the line that looked like me. And yes, he was going to out scheme them and everything and get guys in position to be able to make players miss. This didn't feel like this. Uh, this hasn't felt like this, though. This felt like, OK, you got a couple NFL offensive linemen. You've got a pass rush that is getting into Caleb Williams face repeatedly. It didn't feel fluky, Jody. I think that's the part that I really came away from. No, and you've been talking about this for a while, is that, I mean, there's two, maybe three NFL offensive linemen on this roster. There's right. two in the starting lineup. There's two, Jordan Morgan's a guy that's going to possibly be, he might have the chance to play his way into a top 15 pick. You know, the last, I'm, I was trying to think of this. I, I think Evan Britton was the last guy that I could think of that was getting yep. real first round. And he went high second round and, you know, had a pretty okay career with Jacksonville. But I think that's the last guy. And, Morgan is just he's he's an NFL player and you can tell and which makes it, you know, uh, the, the the final play call for the Arizona Wildcats was a little bit more justifiable in that they and, and who they were running behind. But at the same time, they had so much success running the ball to the other side of the line. But I'm sure that's a story for another day. 
Yeah. All right. And but and then the pass rush, too. Again, I don't want to make it out like you've got, you know, there, there's five LeVar Arrington's out there. 1990 <laughs> right. reference for everyone. <laughs> but, um, you know, this this staff has done a really good job of being able to find players. I'll be honest. When Jed Fish said we got to get bigger, we got to get more explosive on the line. Everybody says that every year, you know, rolling eye emoji. We'll talk about it later. And then you get a, a Taylor Upshaw has got five sacks this year. Then you've got a, a Russell Davis coming off the other side. Then you got dudes up front that played at Georgia last year, like Big Bill Norton. It was, I don't think the USC quite knew what it was in for right there, Jody. And that's kind of, I think, the other part that was surprising. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. I think probably the most successful thing that Jed Fish did or has done was retool that defensive line on the fly in the offseason. And you mentioned, we've talked about it before the season started, just some of the recruits from big programs. And, you know, I, I'm still shaking that stigma of where so many recruits from big programs used to be kind of a bad thing pre-portal right. where it's like, this guy's got to be a problem. There's got to be something wrong with him. But they found useful players, and that defensive line was immediately upgraded. And, you know, that was typically a three- or four-year process that you'd have to get right at a place like Arizona, and you'd have to be able to withstand a potential coaching change, and then it resets. They nailed the portal, and the defensive line is arguably as good as it's been in years, and that happened like that. It, and he's done it each season. Last year, he said, all right, we're going to overhaul the offense. We're going to bring in better players. They did that. They did the defense. And I think with the defense, and we've talked about before, to me, it's a lot easier to find wide receivers running backs than it is the big, bulky, yes. girthy players because that's been a problem for Arizona for 10, 12 years. And they find a lot of these guys weren't super highly rated. Some of them were from big schools, but some of these guys were also just kind of, I mean, Taylor Upshaw, for example, do the Dion said, yeah, we can do, uh, we can do better than this. Well, we'll take you. Yeah. I mean, finding guys now, you know, there's so many recruiting analysts and, and you know this cause you live in that world quite a bit where it's about recruiting the second time. And there's right. guys that are available to transfer that aren't bad players or bad fits. They just, for whatever reason, aren't happy in their current situation. So being able to evaluate now who's transferring for the right and wrong reasons, who's transferring because they've got an opportunity and an ability to play better. We've seen that obviously go the other way. Dorian Singer gets mm -hmm. recruited from Arizona to USC, but it's, it's really nice, Mike, that that transfer portal was not a one-way street out of Arizona and out of Tucson, that there were other talented players coming in on another side of the ball. And listen, I will trade – Dorian Singer for a legitimate pass rusher every offseason. Like, give me, the, to your point, uh, not to say that T-Mac or Jacob Cowing are easily replaced, but there's just so many more athletes playing wide receiver that want that positional glory that you don't find six-foot-four, 300-pound dudes with talent. I'll, I'll just make that trade every offseason if they need to. All right, let's talk. We're, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks a little bit, but you might look at Jody Ayler first and say, man, that is a cool guy. He's from Tucson, obviously went to the U of A. You know what would make Jody Ayler even cooler is if he had Shady Rays on right now. Here's the deal. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays has given out the best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code PHNX for 50% off two pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated oh, five stars by 250,000 people. Jody, if I, when I wear Shady Rays, it brings me up to mediocrity. When you wear it, my friend, you're a 10 plus at that point. Shady I feel like, are you still a wraparound sunglass guy? You still trying to pull the, uh, the 90s look off? 
No, no, because every time I see the wraparound sunglasses guy, it's generally somebody that, like my dad who I'm trying to like swerve away from because I think he's probably <laughs> just going to go in the other lane without me, uh, without noticing that I'm there. Well, you, so you, you have to have a goatee if you're going to wear the wraparound sunglasses. A hundred percent. You got to have some real form of facial hair. I don't. So you know what? I deal with the limitations given to me. All right. Oh, and one other thing. Never, no better time to become a PHNX diehard. Go to gophnx.com. We've got Anthony Gimino here now as well, writing one of the uh, sages of the Southwest. Um, good merchandise, all kinds of stuff. Check it out. Gophnx.com and become a diehard. All right. The quarterback situation. Um, Jed Fish, I always say this, Jody. Jed Fish is a Division One coach. I'm sitting here in the living room with a podcast and a bunch of back the A memorabilia behind. So take it for what it's worth. But um, every now and then a coach, I think, finds somebody that they just have a real um, liking for. I kind of wonder if that's the case with Jaden Delora because if you're just looking and just watching on the field the last couple games, it doesn't even look close between what Jaden Delora has done this year and what Noah Fafita has been doing at quarterback. No, you say liking, I think I could I could just easily make a blind spot, right? Where you're yeah. just kind of not willing to acknowledge where the deficiencies are. And we've seen that a lot with Arizona basketball over the years. We're like, wait, why is this dude playing 30 right. minutes a game? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, here's the thing I'll say about Jaden Delora and Noah Fafitas. I actually think it's closer when it comes to just pure talent. Like Jaden Delora, mm -hmm. if you just took Jaden Delora's best plays and you distilled it into a YouTube sizzle reel, Jaden Delora makes some really good plays and he makes some impressive plays and he's an athletic and he's bigger, but it really just comes down to decision-making. And I don't know how anybody could watch these two quarterbacks and say that Jaden Delora is a better decision-maker with the football than Noah Fafita. You know, this is where I get to just sort of make up stuff because I, I'm, I'm a little bit more removed from it and I don't have the same credibility in uh, the world with the coaching staff and the program that you do anymore, but it's like, I just kind of wonder if there was some sort of verbal agreement with Jaden Delora and Jed Fish, whether it was two years ago or last year, like, hey, as long as you're here, you're our starter. I'm, I'm, we're going to stick with you. You're coming from Washington State. You are high-profile quarterback transfer. And part of me just wonders if there's something stickier that's keeping Jaden Delora as the starter. Because to your point, Mike, from a football and competitive standpoint, it's pretty obvious Noah Fafita gives them a better chance to win based on his decision-making. And when it comes to the quarterback spot, like I'll use my mom, for example. She watches the game just because she knows that I'm going to be on a post-game afterwards. So thanks, mom, if you're listening. But she doesn't know if Montana Lamonius Craig is an upgrade over Dorian Singer or vice versa. <laughs> but, she, but she can watch the quarterback position and say – this little guy seems better than the other guy. What's what's going on right here? And I think, you know, the Washington game was a little bit hit or miss. I thought he I thought Noah Fafita was fine, but this was a game against USC that I thought should really open some eyes. Granted USC's defense stinks, I get it. But what really sold me Jody was when Arizona got down 28 to 20. And you're like, "All right, well here we go. You're going to lose by two touchdowns, whatever." When he marched him right back down the field, got the touchdown, got the two-point conversion, obviously went into overtime. That showed some gumption there as well, as opposed to just getting out to that quick 14-0 uh, uh, lead. It did, and he he looked like he was unfazed by what was going on at the Coliseum, and that's important. And again, we go back to the offensive line. We haven't seen many quarterbacks in Arizona football history who right. can kind of stand up against USC and not, not blink first. Fafita's got that ability. Now, again, just for the sake of conversation, 
he did make a catastrophic decision with the football that no probably cost Arizona a chance to win that game because at that point, USC had nothing going for him, and it was a really bad interception. No doubt. And there were a few plays like this is just something that I think we've got to acknowledge with Fafita that, you know, is a little bit similar to the Kyler Murray, Bryce Young conversations. There are some physical limitations to Noah Fafita that when it comes to throwing across his body or making tight throws, like he can't generate the same force that bigger, stronger guys. Now, Jaden Galore is not exactly towering over Noah Fafita, but he is bigger. And I think, uh, you know, I think going into Washington State, it's really, Jed Fish knows I can only make this quarterback change once. And I better be 1,000% sure it's the right decision. That that interception alone was probably enough for Jed Fish to say, well, I could have gotten that interception from Jaden Delora, but I get a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit more playmaking with Delora, I think, than Fafita. Fafita's just a little bit more predictable. Right. I think the problem, and I agree with you, the problem, though, with that is that when we've watched Delora all season, he hasn't done any of that, and he's been ha- he's had the four interception games. I mean, you got to remember, before Fafita, or before Delora got hurt against Stanford, Arizona was losing that game. Fafita comes yeah. in, brings him right down the field. This hasn't been the uh, JDL of last year where one game it could be 400 yards, five touchdowns, and then the next game it could be 100 yards, five interceptions. At least with that, I guess you take the good with the bad. This year, there hasn't really been much good, and I think that's where it frustrates fans because Fafita, by and large, has been pretty good. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% right. We just haven't seen the, you know, we I was I was joking with my friends on a group text my U of A friends, JD, we call him JD Portal now instead of JDL. Like there's there there hasn't been the same kind of hey, there's three really good plays for every two awful plays. Like the ratio of bad to good plays from Jane Delora this year is just wildly skewed in the negative plays. And uh, again, I'm not trying to defend the decision because I would start Noah Fafita and I would feel very good about it and I would just turn the page on Jaden Delora. He is maddening to watch as a fan. Right. He is frustrating to watch, you know, take a win uh, and turn it into an L. He's he's just good at that. But I think there's a silver lining in <laughs> that. Win and turn it into an L. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think Jed Fish is secure enough in the job, has enough equity in the job, has enough confidence in his coaching staff and decision-making that he doesn't have to make the panic quarterback change. And I don't think he wants to make the panic quarterback change. I think he wants to make it. And I think, and you've you've tweeted about this and talked about it, Mike, as soon as Noah Fafita is handed the starting job, he's going to be the de facto starter for at a minimum the next 18 months, right? Right. Now, there's always a chance you can recruit a bigger, stronger quarterback. And I think Jet... That's also the thing that Fafita has against him is I think Jed Fish, by and large, has greatly improved the baseline of talent that we just talked about at Arizona by recruiting more NFL-sized dudes. O-line, D-line, corner, wide receiver. Fafita ain't that. He's got no NFL future. He's not going to be a professional quarterback. And I think there's probably a part of Jed Fish, he's always going to want to recruit someone a little bit more prototypical than Noah Fafita. So I'm not sure... There, there might be this like inner tug of war with with Fish where he's like, hey, if I turn the program over to Noah Fafita, he's a winner, he's a leader, he's good enough to win some games, but I don't know if he's good enough to accomplish everything I want to accomplish. I don't know if I want this guy starting for three years at, at U of A. 
to give you an idea about the NFL perspective right here, I'm five, eight and a half. I, and I take that. I do not love, I do not (laughs) minimize that half inch or that half inch right there, Jody. When you're vertically challenged, you take the half inch. I'm taller than Noah Fafita. Noah Fafita is at most five, eight. And I think that is what is so unique about what we're watching. And I was thinking about this the other day. I cannot remember, and maybe there is, but I cannot remember a power five quarterback that was legitimately five foot eight that threw the ball 30 times per game. Maybe there is. Yeah. But, well, what's what was Denard Robinson? Like Robin five, five ten, maybe five ten. But he had such yeah. a running threat to him that you had right, to right. just more of a tradition. You're probably right. I mean, Nick Nick Costa is the first small quarterback I think of at U of A, the the kid from Oregon who lasted well. Oregon, he was yeah. at one point a really highly ranked recruit, but he was sub six foot. But again, more in that Kyler Murray, Denard Robinson, like, you know, it, it, I, I agree. I don't. I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is either. Yeah, and I, like I said, it's just kind of uncharted waters. Now, let's talk about a little bit about who he's throwing to, and we're going to get to some basketball as well. But first, game time. Maybe you're not like the great Jody Ayler, and you got to watch all the games professionally. How many TVs you got set up there, Jody? Don't lie to me. I'm I'm a monogamous TV viewer. I watch one TV at a time, man. I I'm like old school. It. I'm the yeah. same way. I get people all the time that say, dude, how many TVs you got? Just one. This one back yep. here. I'm monogamous as well right here. All right. Check it out, though. Game time. You can download the game time app and create an account and use code PHNX for $20 off. You can get into uh, games, concerts, you name it. They got it. And again, if you don't want to use the TV, this is where you got terms and conditions apply. Create an account. Again, redeem code PHNX. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. All right. Um, uh, Tedaroa McMillan. Um, every now and then a unicorn comes through Arizona. It's not often Gronk was one of those guys. Now, granted Gronk, you just kind of knew Gronk's freshman and sophomore year different. This is a different dude. This is a guy that looks like he should be at Alabama at Georgia. He's just different. And, um, it's a testament to Jed fish. And it's also a testament to being able to get a player like this. Cause we don't see guys like this very often here, Jody. No, we don't. And it's another reason to tie it back to the quarterback that maybe Noah Fafita is the best choice, right? Because I I think you always have to be aware that while he's usually at Alabama or Oregon, and right now he's at Arizona, that's not definitely true a year from now, right? There's right. always the looming specter that someone puts a bag on the table and he's gone. So maybe the Fafita move helps that. I agree. He's He's big, he's fast, he's sure-handed. We've seen some guys come through Arizona that have some of those traits, but usually go down as what-ifs. They rarely actually pan out for one reason or another. And the dude is just a machine, man. And, you know, I think you and I have maybe texted about it or talked about it differently. I think what's going to determine if he is a bona fide top 15, top 20 pick and what's a second-round pick is what his 40 time is when he enters the NFL draft process. But – Man, I would take that dude on my team, period, no matter how fast he runs. Because he looks safely like, at worst, a number two receiver in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I mean that that's kind of a worst-case scenario for him. And again, talking about NFL talent is just so weird here at the U of A because yeah. it, was funny. it was funny at SC. Uh, we were at the game. <laughs> at the game. But um, <laughs> they, uh, they flashed all the USC alumni that are currently in the NFL, and it was like 20 or it was like 39 or 40 players. And then Arizona, they showed it was like six. So it's and and they're all like special teams players too. So well, yeah, I mean, 
One of the most successful U of A football players in the NFL was a guy that played fullback at Arizona and then got converted to a defensive tackle in the end of like Earl Mitchell had a really good NFL career, but nobody ever connects him to Arizona because he literally played H back for, you know, Mike Stoops. But yeah, this is this dude, you know, the the Arizona Cardinals have a rookie wide receiver this year in Michael Wilson, who's Mm six, two came from Stanford and immediately is just like smooth catches everything. I think T-Mac is a better version of Michael Wilson. I think, I, I, he's, I think he's bigger. I think he's better. And I think he's a guy that can easily be imagined right now as a 1B with a chance to be a 1A, uh, again, depending on that explosiveness. But he, there's some Wilson-T-Mac similarities that I see, but I just think T-Mac's better. And what also is interesting, too, is the depth that you've gotten. Michael Wiley was one of the better players on the team last year. Michael Wiley has been out. Jonah Coleman comes in, and he looks kind of like a mini beast mode out there. And that, you know, he's he's about another guy, probably about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but about 225, impossible to bring down on that first. The depth that this team has, and again, I don't want to make it out like it's Alabama, but the depth that he's accumulated has been quite impressive, Jody. Let's, um, let's play a little game of... Uh do you remember certain Wildcat running backs? Because mm-hmm. there, there's kind of a, an interesting history at running back in the last 20, 25 years. There have been some ones that have stood out for the right reasons and have gone on to the NFL. Like, I immediately think of an Arizona Wildcat running back, Clarence Farmer is the first name I think of, because the dude was a physical freak. He used to be able to stand flat-footed and basically do a backflip and, and kick the, the, the rim of a basketball. Like, the dude was just a freak athlete. And had one amazing year and then injuries and never quite panned out. But I always think of Clarence Farmer when I think of great uh, potential Wildcat running backs. I've always thought that he's the what the big what if from the Tomy into the Makovic era because he was clearly a Tomy guy. And I think if Tomy had stayed around even for another year, I think Clarence Farmer, again, like you said, he got injured and then he had some issues and then Mike Bell took over after that. But yeah. Farmer was the one dude that I was like, man, that's what an NFL running back number one ball carrier is supposed to look like Clarence farmer. Like I said, he's to me always on the all what if team. And like you said, he had a great, uh, he had it one great season. It just kind of spiraled from there though. There was uh, do you remember Leo Mills? Mills Yeah. He had one or two. He had, he had some big play ability. He would break some long runs, but then, you know, would fumble three snaps later and you wouldn't see him again. Uh, Obviously guys like Nick Grigsby who were, sort of Mike Stoops bell cow early on. And right. I, I just, to your point, I think what we're seeing from Coleman is just arguably, you know, Trunk candidate was a first rounder of the mm-hmm. Rams. He was a different dude. I, what I saw from Coleman against USC was as impressive as anything I've seen from any Arizona Wildcat running back in any one game circumstance. And that goes back to the, you know, mid nineties, basically. Right. And it looks like he should have been starting at USC. It looked like if you were to put Jonah Coleman at USC, he could have easily been that ball carrier and nobody would have, uh, nobody would have batted an eye. I mean, that's how impressive it really was right there. And he, again, a lot of these guys, this was a really remarkable recruiting class when you think about it, because you're looking at Jonah Sabanea, who any scout that comes through here always says is the best prospect on the team, which is crazy. But, um, you got Jonas Avenia, you got T-Mac, Jacob Cowan came in in that class. Obviously, you got Noah Fafita, Jacob Manu, Ephesians Prysock. I can keep going on. I wonder at the end of the day if we're going to look back, and this was kind of one of those top three or four recruiting classes in school history that nobody really saw coming at that time. 
I think you just made the case, right? I mean, it, it, to be fair, it's not a super high bar to clear for Arizona football. If you, if you found like three or four above average Pac-12 starters in a single recruiting class, right. that's a banner year and a bumper crop for Arizona. I, to your point, that recruiting class, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, again, the Gronk. Well, I, I think Matt Scott was in the Gronk class, right? Nick Foles was a transfer. I don't know if they were the same year. Maybe I'm off by year. There's one. There's one that had. I think it was like Teddy Bruschi, Rob Waldrop, Brandon Sanders, yeah. and like there's yeah. one that I know that'll never eclipse. But after that, like in recent memory, like in our era, this yeah, I think this is going to be it, Jody. Yeah, this is, and um, you know, it's not dissimilar from an NFL team where like you need that one great draft class to propel you to a Super Bowl contention, and you need at least one great recruiting class to get you to the next level. And again, that's my frustration right now, and we haven't talked a lot about it. Is they do have to start winning some of these games. There are three missed opportunities: Washington, USC, and Mississippi State. I I've lived in my entire life, Mike, where there have been flashes of Arizona. Maybe they can do this. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe next year. At some point, what separates Arizona football from everybody else is you just got to do it and you just got to win. And that's what's been frustrating. They should have beat USC, man. Like that's that's a W. If you replay that exact game 10 times, that's a W nine times. And the one time is it counted and they lost. You, you hit the nail on the head because Arizona fans are predisposed to assuming that the worst is going to happen. Like I, here's, here's the thing. Like on the post game show, everybody was saying, well, you know, I'm bummed, but I shouldn't be surprised. That's the problem right there. And Arizona football, let's be honest, is given, not given fans much reason because every time they've come in highly ranked or they played close, they generally end up losing the game. That's the next step. And you, like you said, you got to start winning some of these games. I always said before the year, bowl game. You got to be able I, you, that's that's the goal. Get into a bowl game. I still think that's very reasonable. But if you don't get into a bowl game this year and it's another four or five win season, I think you're going to have a lot of people that are just going to say, all right, we've been through this. You got to show me some wins at some point. Which sucks because I think you and I are in agreement that everything Jed Fish is doing right now has been the right thing. There's no there's no real like, man, I wish they would recruit this more. Or I wish they were better at this. I mean, there's, you can quibble with some of the coaching staff choices and we've talked right. about the quarterback, but like Jed fish has indicated in a lot of ways that he's the right guy to lead Arizona to that next level. But momentum is a real thing. And you know, a year from now we've, we've, we've seen it with recruiting. I know the Elijah rushing stuff is uh, probably in its own box. It's kind right. of separate from a lot of things, but you have to keep sustaining momentum. Otherwise, you're going to enter that death spiral, which is impossible to pull the program out of where you start losing bodies and you start losing games. And, I, you know, I, I would take it to another level. And I think this is probably a little unfair to the program, but based on the talent level we have seen this year, Mike, this is a seven or eight win Great. team that should have been in contention for a Pac-12 South championship and a Pac-12, like the level of talent is, if this team with this talent were playing in a Pac-12 championship game, I would not be surprised. Yet here we are, we're potentially looking at a four or five win season. That's not, you You just don't get many second chances like this for an Arizona program. I totally agree. All right, now 
We're going to switch to a little bit of Arizona basketball because Tommy Lloyd said something that I found very interesting right here. But first, Splash Sports. All right, here's the deal with Splash Sports. Head to SplashSports.com slash PHNX to join in. We'll have different contests coming out. So we are stoked to compete with and against you. Be sure to check out the link in the description. Here's the deal. Go to uh, SplashSports.com backslash PHNX, link in the description, and sign up. Deposit cash to get started, and it's just $5 to enter either way. Weekly NFL picks, survivor contests, you name it, they got it. All right, Tommy Lloyd. What I like about Tommy Lloyd is this, is that many people, if you're 61 and 11 in your first two years as a coach, many people are going to say, buzz off, I know exactly what I'm doing, I don't need any of your help. Sean Miller would have done exactly that. Um... Tommy Lloyd made a big point at the press call or at the media day to say that we got it. We had to get tougher. We had to get tougher this off season. That's been a problem. And um, you know, I'm paraphrasing right there. And he brought in guys like a Keisha Johnson, seven and five at San Diego state. I think he'll be significantly better than that. Uh, Jaden Bradley, Caleb love. You kind of got rid of some of the players that, while good, were probably not the toughest dudes in the world. And I think Lloyd is saying that, you know, I can coach this team to points. I can't coach this team to toughness. I'm very excited to see what this year looks like, Jody. I am too. Uh, and by the way, Pac-12 Media Day was probably the most compelling bit of evidence yet that we have that moving to the Big 12 is in everybody's best interest because it generated zero buzz, zero, like, Hey, everybody, stop and look at Pac-12 basketball. Now, maybe that's just the nature of college basketball and the postseason of baseball has been great and the NFL's a machine. But, I, I mean, honestly, there were times yesterday I was like, does any is anybody aware outside of hardcore U of A, maybe Oregon basketball fans that this is going on? It was crazy. But here's what I'll say about Tommy Lloyd. I love it. I love this. I love the soundbite. I love the mentality. Um you're still probably starting Pella Larson. You still recruited three other and four other, you know, European players that granted are skilled, highly skilled, big guys, but have a reputation if we're generalizing and it's not a hundred percent true that don't play with the kind of physicality that you would need to. So I'm going to need to see it before mm -hmm. I believe it with this team. Cause that's also been something that the Gonzaga program has dealt with for yeah. a long period of time. It's one thing to be aware of it. You mentioned Keisha Johnson. I mean, the dude started nearly, you know, or played nearly 90 games at San Diego State. He's rough and tumble. I, I immediately get Jesse Perry vibes from that dude who's just going to go sure. out there and set screens and kind of be a presence. And they need that. But there's a lot of guys that on this roster that might also still be averse to contact too. Yeah. And that's where it's going to be interesting. Now I will say this. I am of the belief that with uh, international players, I take, uh, I'll believe it when I see it generally. Now, a lot of them do pan out, but we've also seen Henry Vasar. We've also seen Adama ball. We've also seen uh, Philip Borovichin in that were just not, just not ready. Probably not up to where they were ranked. One player that I'm going to tell you to keep an eye on, though, Jody, that I'm going to vouch for right here, and I could look stupid, Montias Crevis. He is going to, he's about 7'2", 255 pounds. Um, I believe that he is going to uh, step in there and eat up a lot of those Umar Ballo minutes, and I think he is going to buck that trend. That is the first international player I'm vouching for there, Mr. Ayler. I love it. I mean, I'm, I can't wait. I think one of the big stories for this Arizona team is they've got so many dudes with size and skill but who's actually going to pan out in a game situation? Like who, who can you rely on for 25 good minutes? And, you know, Dylan Anderson's in that conversation. Like right. who, 
there's a bunch of six, ten, and bigger dudes on this roster. Who is going to make an actual impact and actually influence outcomes of games? Balo has done that to his credit, but I, I think he's going to need some help, and I think that's one of the stories of this Arizona basketball season. You also needed players that could make plays off the bounce. Last year's team had essentially five Pella Larsons, um, and yeah. that you can shoot the wide open set shot three, but you're never really going to get into the paint. And Pella does some very good stuff, but Jody and I are on the same page. I think on a really, really good team, Pella is like a seventh guy, not a player that's playing 33, 34, 35 minutes. Um, but you need players that can make plays off the bounce. And I never understood why people didn't want Caleb Love coming in here because yes, I understand that he wasn't uber efficient at North Carolina, but He's also probably not going to play like that. And I also believe that Tommy Lloyd is a better offensive coach than Caleb Love or than Caleb Love than uh, Hubert Davis. I believe it's a good fit here. And quite frankly, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he averaged 15 points on 45, 46% shooting as opposed to 39. So yeah, the reason I, I, I didn't have a problem with Caleb Love, but what I'm always on guard about are the small volume heavy shooting guards masquerading as point guards, have the ball in their hands a lot, take a bunch of bad shots shoot 37% from the field, but that doesn't stop them from jacking up 12 to 15 shots a game. It disrupts the offense. It creates problems with other more unselfish players who want to play winning basketball. And I think there's a fear, and whether this is legitimate or not, is that Caleb Love is coming here to get right and to audition for the NBA, and he's going to come take a bunch of shots, and he's going to have the green light from from uh, Tommy Lloyd because – that's part of the deal when you, you you pluck them in the transfer portal. And those dudes just are really tough to watch. They're right. just not fun to watch play basketball. Now, if he integrates himself more into the Tommy Lloyd style and there's more unselfish and ball movement and it's more about, hey, instead of taking that shot with zero passes in the possession, if he takes that shot, the third or fourth pass in the possession, I'm cool with it. I just – I don't – I didn't watch Caleb Love enough last year to feel like he's grown as a player, but the numbers on paper are a little startling given his shot shooting percentages and his volume. Where I think you kind of know whether he's going to fit or not is just by his dribbles. In Arizona's offense, you shouldn't be dribbling the ball in the half court more than two or three times max. Yeah. What always worries me about those volume shooters, like you said, is the ones that, okay, I'm going to dribble the ball 19 times now, and then I'm just going to force up a shot. I believe he's talented enough if he has one, two, three dribbles to be able to make it work. But you know, to your point, I will be very worried if we're seeing a lot of ISOs or we're seeing a lot of, you know, allow you to just get your shots to audition for the NBA. But I do think we're going to know pretty quickly on that one, though, how it's going to work. There's a, you know, we've talked before about you and I play pickup basketball and it can be universally true in any level. There's a certain kind of player that everybody hates to play with. Right. And it's the high volume, never looking, never looking to pass, but always taking the shot, whether it goes in or not. It's it's just the worst kind of basketball to play with. And he's got a little bit of that reputation of that yeah. style of play with him. And again, doesn't mean he can't change. He can't grow up. He can't get better. He can't understand. He can't learn from Tommy Lloyd. But that is the universal basketball misery is being stuck on the court with a guy that takes shots he shouldn't be taking. And I think to your point, one of the big fears that a lot of people have is, is his presence going to stunt the development of Kylan Boswell, 
who looks like a guy that should have more responsibility in the offense, right. plays unselfishly, good, pretty good shot selection. I, I think there was a Caleb Love versus Boswell sort of conversation in the offseason where it's like, just give Boswell more opportunity and and have a less sort of accomplished backcourt mate with Bradley and Love. It's like, how does this all work? How far can you go in college basketball if you don't have a player in the starting lineup or the rotation that it's a that's an NBA starter or a rotation player lock? It's a great question, man. I used to, you know, we used to have the answer to that pretty clear, which is not going to go very far. And now we just, you know, you're you're fresh off San Diego State and God knows what else. Right. I, I think now it really comes down to coaching and it comes down to scheme and can guys just knock down shots. Um, so I, I don't think that's the red flag it used to be. I think you and I are probably still a lot more comfortable with a team anchored by a Benedict Matherin as yes. opposed to being anchored by a, you know, an Umar Ballard and Kyle Umar Ballard. Exactly. So I'm more comfortable with it, but college basketball says, hey, if you're well coached and you make shots and you play hard, you can pretty much do anything now. And I think that's where it's a little bit different. Where you and I, when we grew up, we had every single year, it felt like there was a high level lottery pick. And if there wasn't, it was somebody right there at that guard spot. You can go from Damon Stoudemire to Mike Bibby to Jason Terry, and you can just go on and on down the list. Even guys like Richard Jefferson, who weren't great college players per se, you knew that they were going to be lottery picks. The last couple of years has been weird because last year you knew that there was nobody on the team that was an NBA player, and if they were, they were probably a fringe NBA player. This year is kind of the same, but like you said, I also don't know if that's not that worst thing because it's also kind of college basketball at this point. Here's kind of a fun question is, who's the best NBA player to come from Gonzaga? Who, who's the guy that can't – this is a program that's been viable at the top level of college basketball for 20 years. Who's the best NBA player from Gonzaga? I don't, I don't, I don't have the answer off the top of my head, but I'll tell you what, it's not an obvious answer. It's not like, you know, Jalen Suggs has torn it up or – it might end up being Chet Holmgren, you know. Actually, I know who it is. I know who it is. There's one guy. Uh, Sabonis is probably the best, I'd assume. Yes, yes. But without I a doubt. To, but I had to think about Sabonis. I'll give you the names that were going through my mind. Rui Hachimura, Col- yeah. Kelly Olenek. I mean, that's kind of your – Roni Turioff to your – you know. Yep. That's, that's a great point right there. And I, I bring that up because, you know, as much as we love at Arizona to be Arizona – Tommy Lloyd has brought a distinctly Gonzaga style to Arizona. Now it's more in line with what Lute Olson ran and what we're comfortable with than what Sean Miller was running, but he is building this program and operating this program under the influence of what he learned for his entire career under Mark Few and Gonzaga. And is they they've changed a little bit in recent years by getting high profile five-star kids, but for the most part, that is not an NBA player factory in the Pacific Northwest, and they've had a lot of success. It's maybe prevented them from winning a championship, but I don't think it's an accident that Tommy Lloyd's not prioritizing the NBA mega prospect. And, you know, there's a case to be made for and against that, and I think I'm, I'm open-minded to the way he's doing it, can still work at the highest level. I'm curious to see what happens with the recruiting class next year. You're bringing in two McDonald's All-American kids, most likely, and Carter Bryant, Jamari Phillips. That's going to be the first one where, 
you're, you're going to find out, all right, how does this work? Are these one and dones? Is this going to be something or is this going to be something you're going to kind of veer away from? I think next year is going to be fascinating when it comes to that. That's a great point, And it will be because if it goes poorly, then it might just be back to the European and fifth year transfer and four year recruiting. And if it goes well, we, we could see Arizona emerge as a, again, as they should be, in my opinion, a Kansas-level program, a Duke-level program that's just getting skilled NBA players that can work for a year without destroying everything. And that's kind of marrying Gonzaga with Lutz Prime is kind of the whole uh, apex of the Tommy Lloyd experience, potentially. All right. Wanted to end here with a little bit of Big 12 talk. Jody Ayler is a convert to the Big 12. That's after, right. That's fair. After much, uh, after much per- pushing from me, but I'm not going to credit myself on that. But first, BetMGM. Here's the deal. Sign up for BetMGM. Use bonus code PHNX. Place your first BetMGM uh, sportsbook wager through BetMGM sportsbook mobile app of at least $10. You will receive $200 instantly in additional winnings, regardless of your wager's outcome. Check the show notes for details. Jody, before we get to this disclaimer, what do you think about Arizona 8.5 on the uh, on the old money line against uh, – or excuse me, eight and a half is the spread against Washington State. I would probably, man, you know that Washington State's offensive coordinator is like 27 years old. <laughs> I mean, sure. they pile up numbers. I, I think I would take Arizona to cover eight and a half. I would as well. Now, let's hear the uh, better, Let's hear the disclaimer from Shane Diefenbach. Problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369-NEW YORK. Call 1-800-327-5050, Massachusetts. 21 plus to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP, Arizona. 1-800-BETS-OFF-IOWA. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help, Michigan. 1-800-981-0023, Puerto Rico, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. All right, so that's our pick, too. We both like Arizona to cover the eight and a half points. I'm not even speaking for Jody Ayler. He just said that himself right there. All right, Jody. Big 12. Um, Obviously, first of all, is there anything more Pac-12 than having your most banner football season ever in the year when it goes into extinction? Anything? No, no, there's nothing more. It's classic Pac-12. And so let's going into the uh, Big 12 right now. Now there's rumors about Gonzaga possibly joining uh, as a basketball only uh, thing. Now, I know the rivalries are gone, but what do you think, though, just about when you look at Arizona from a basketball perspective in the Big 12, my friend? I love the idea of Gonzaga joining the Big 12. I love the idea of it just mattering to every program in there, college basketball. It's, uh, you know. Do you remember being a freshman in college and you had to kind of like find your new group and find your way? And maybe it took a couple weeks, months or semester, year. But like, I feel like Arizona basketball found its people, right? Like, I feel like Big 12 and college hoops is just going to feel like, yeah, this is my group of peers that I want to spend time around. Whereas the Pac-12, it always felt like we were dragging the rest of the conference along in basketball and you got to take it seriously. So um, I'm very excited from a big 12 perspective for college basketball. And I think Gonzaga and potentially UConn joining the big 12 and bolstering that even more, just bring it all on. Just give me every program in college basketball that wants to really matter and 
put them in the Big 12, and I will love every second of it. And what I like about your mark as well is that your mark clearly has a vision. He knows that he's not going to usurp the SEC when it comes to uh, when it comes to football or the Big Ten. Big Ten's another. We'll talk about Big Ten at another time. But um, I think that there's something to be said if you corner the market on basketball. If you say, okay, you're going to have football. I get that football brings in most of the dollars. But honestly, Jody, and we've seen it with the ACC all these years with basketball, there is something to be said, and I think it's an underrated aspect, to be the best conference in one of the two revenue sports, even if that's a distant second when it comes to the revenue sports. It's an identity. I mean, you have an identity as a conference. And the Pac-12 has had no identity for the last decade. It used to be the fun, exciting offensive college football conference or the best college basketball conference. And they've lost that identity. They didn't value that identity. And I think in order to succeed at anything, people have to know what your brand stands for. And if you're a college basketball brand, and that's what the conference stands for, it makes it easier for every institution that's a member to recruit, to generate revenue, to create marketing. Like it's a brand, it's an identity. And I think the big 12 is a shortcut back to that for Arizona. U of A is extremely comfortable. Every part of its sort of being is geared towards maximizing basketball and backs of basketball opportunities. And I think we're finally going to get back to those skills being valued in the big 12, which I I'm excited about. He is the great Jody Ayler, and I say great with a capital G. Like I said, Tucson's finest right there. Uh, hometown kid made it big. Well, let me ask you this. When are you filling in next on uh, one of the national Dan Patrick, anybody like that? I'm just trying to stay awake every morning, man. We got Diamondback games until all hours of the night. So it's uh, for now, it's just just give me give me four hours and then I'll go right. home and sleep. All right. You can check him out, though, on the drive from 6 to 10, uh, 9, 10. Jody, as always, really appreciate your time, my guy, and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you shortly. Mike, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for the invite. He's Jody Ayler. I'm Mike Luke. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.